if you have your Bible, and I hope you have your Bible, uh, open to Ephesians chapter 3. If you don't have a Bible, I have one for you. You can see me anytime after the worship service, and uh, I'll go get you a Bible. Listen to the Word of God, starting uh, verse 1 and reading the entire chapter. For this reason, I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus, for the sake of you Gentiles, Gentiles being non-Jews, Greeks and Romans, in this city of Ephesus that he's writing to, surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation, as I have already written briefly. In reading this, then, you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Now, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. And I became a servant of this gospel by the, grace of, by the gift of God's grace given through the working of his power. Although I am less than the least of all the Lord's people, this grace has been given to me, the grace being this, to preach to the Gentiles the boundless riches of Christ, and to make plain to everyone the administration of this mystery, which for ages past was kept hidden in God, who created all things. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through him, through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are for your glory. And for this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you, with power through the Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have the power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled to the measure of the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we could ask or imagine. According to his power that is work, that is at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Jesus Christ throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. Pentecost is the day historically that Christians uh, reflect on what is unique about the church and 
and it's this, that the church is not, uh, it's not a human institution. It's not that people decided, let's get together to worship God together, but rather the church is, uh, it's from, it's from God. The church is created by God, and the church is filled with God's Holy Spirit to be able to do the purpose for which God has created the church. Now today, if you ask people in society, what do they think of the church? Well, they... They may think of the church as a nuisance. Um, they may think of the church as uh, maybe even an enemy of the good that society is trying to build. Um, at least they, they probably would think of the church as rather irrelevant. And um, unfortunately, irrelevancy is something that even perhaps people within the church that attend church I'd even think, how, how relevant is the church? Um, well, the Apostle Paul would think that the church is incredibly relevant, incredibly important. Um, not an afterthought at all. It wasn't for Paul and it shouldn't be for us. So today, as we look at what Paul wrote, we're going to look at three things that, that Paul says about the church, the power well, let's start with the purpose. The purpose for the church, uh, the promise that God makes to his church, and then the power that God gives for his church. Those three things, purpose and promise and power. So last week I mentioned a little bit about the city of, of Ephesus that Paul is writing to and mentioned that uh, it, was, uh, it was an impressive city in the Roman Empire and uh, one of the things that made Ephesus unique is the worship of the goddess Artemis, who was believed to be a terrifically powerful god. And the temple of Artemis was in Ephesus. And like I mentioned uh, last week, this temple was beautiful. It was, it was about a football field and a half in length and in width, made of solid marble, known today as one of the seven ancient wonders of the world, there in the city of Ephesus for the worship of this this goddess, uh, ancient believed goddess of of Artemis. And uh, the Christians in Ephesus lived in this city that was enamored, the city was enamored by the power, the grandeur, and the worship of Artemis. And so imagine how Paul writing this letter to these Christians in this environment. And Paul is now writing about the, the power and the grandeur of God. Like he's, he's saying, okay, if you want to talk about a great God, let me tell you about him. And Paul may completely surprise you and me as he did these ancient Ephesian Christians for sure. Because when he talks about the power of God... What he talks about is what God is going to do through his church. And that's not the first thing that comes to my mind when I think of God's power. Think of God's creative power, miraculous power. Paul says, here's power. 
what God is going to do through his church. So the purpose of the church, let's talk about the purpose of the church. And we're going to look at verses 10 and 11 for this. The purpose of the church is to show the wisdom and the power of God. The purpose of the church is through its existence to reveal the glory of God, to to be a sign of God's power and wisdom. So let's look at verses 10 and 11. It says that through the church, the manifold wisdom, so manifold, multivaried wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and the authorities not necessarily on earth, Paul writes, but in the heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus, our Lord. So let's talk about Christian worldview a little bit. The Christian worldview is that there is so much more to this world that we can uh, make known or to understand through our senses, correct? It takes more than five senses to know all that there is um, in, in, in our world. There are spiritual beings, spiritual powers that Paul writes about. In fact, at the end of the letter, this letter, you might, if you've read through Ephesians, and I know a lot of you have, chapter 6, Paul says that um, our enemy is not flesh and blood. It's not humans, not, not, not people. That's not our enemy. But Paul writes, spiritual powers of evil in the heavenly realms. That's what Paul writes about. And Paul calls our attention to these spiritual powers, not so that we would be afraid of them, but so that we would be aware of them. Paul wasn't afraid of these spiritual powers because he knew who God is. God is the one who intentionally displays his power, his almighty power and wisdom, surpassing wisdom, to these spiritual powers. See, they seek to oppose God and God's power and purposes, but God says to this, like God says to them, these spiritual powers that Paul talks, writes about, it's like God says to them, let me show you what I can do. Let me show you the depths of my power and wisdom. I will do what no one else can do. Oh, yeah, what is that? We could imagine these spiritual powers asking God, and God answers, that is my church. I will take people who are not only by nature opposed to me, but also opposed to one another, and I will make them one. And my friends, that is something that only God can do. And what this chapter says is the church is what God puts on display. Not just for people not in the church to see, but these spiritual powers that oppose God and the heavenly realms. God says, look at that. Look at what only I can do. You see, it's quite within uh, human capabilities to bring similar people together. That is not too difficult. And there have been quite many clubs that have been organized around well, common interests. You know, uh, people who like to mountain bike can get together on a Saturday morning and go mountain biking in the mountain biking club. Pretty easy to do that. 
get people together to do that. Gardening, people like to garden, get together to be a part of the gardening club. Um, I mean, you get the idea. Uh, last church I was at in Illinois, there was a group of, of men from all over this little city that we lived in that loved Civil War history. And so they would meet monthly to talk about the Civil War. So lots of clubs based on common interests. That's not too difficult. But God says, I'm going to take natural enemies, Jews and Gentiles, Jews and Greeks and Romans, who see life completely differently from one another. I'm going to take those very different people and I'm going to make them one by my spiritual presence, my Holy Spirit, and I'm going to fill them. And I'm going to give them an entirely new way to view the world and their life. So think about the the dominant view of life here in America. Um, Take your Christian identity off, you know, take the Christian hat off. What's, What's the dominant view of life in American culture? Well, it Something like this. Um, I'm going to build my own security and comfort through my efforts. I'm going to work hard. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to seek success and prosperity through what I do. And listen, there's, there is some wisdom in that. Let's, let's not get that wrong. There is some wisdom in that. Um, let me, let me frame it maybe in a little less greedy way, um, think of a graduation speech to high school or college graduates. What's the, what's the message of a commencement speech? Go out now and you've got enormous potential in you and don't waste your life. Go, go do something and don't waste this life that you, you got one life. Don't waste it. There's, there is some wisdom in that, Correct. Um, that's good wisdom, perhaps. But what God does is God provides an even greater wisdom, and that's the wisdom that Paul is writing about here, that God is putting on display through the church, a greater wisdom. Because, let's face it, our time here on earth as we know it now, it's over before we know it. It's over before you know it. Your time on earth... Is over before you know it. And the great things that you have done and the great things that you have acquired one day are all going to belong to someone else. And your contributions, your individual contributions to society, no matter how great they are, within a generation or two, they will be surpassed by someone else's contribution to society and your work will have been forgotten. So the greater wisdom that Paul presents to us is this. You have an eternal purpose. God gives you an eternal purpose. And that is to belong to his church that God is building and to display God's glorious wisdom and power and belonging to this church. When you're a Christian, you get a not just a lifetime membership to this church, an eternal membership to this church. Because belonging to God's church does not end with your physical death because God gives eternal life to those who trust in Jesus Christ. And when you put your trust in Jesus Christ, 
It's like you get the eternal membership card for God's church. Even after death, you are a part of God's church. And so think of the Apostle Paul, and he has in mind this greater wisdom. Let's, let's talk about what's going on in his life right at this moment when he's writing this. Because right at this moment when he's writing this, he is in prison. Not good circumstances, people would say, of Paul. Conventional wisdom, worldly wisdom would say, Paul, somewhere you've made a wrong turn there, buddy. Right? Because now you're in prison. You did something, you made someone mad, you made a wrong turn. And now look at what's going on in your life. And Paul says, on the contrary, no, I have stayed on the straight path because I've been faithful to my Savior Jesus Christ. And now even in my imprisonment, God is using that to help spread the gospel of Jesus Christ and of the church that Jesus is building. That's this greater wisdom that Paul is writing about. Now, You try building an organization with the slogan, join us and you will be with people who by nature are your enemies and faithful membership in this organization will lead you to prison, perhaps. You try building an organization with that as a slogan. And what do you think will happen? I mean, even if you are the the most charismatic man or woman on the planet... You might be able to get some followers for a year or two, ten years, maybe a couple decades if you're really good at it. But sooner or later, that organization is going to fall apart. And this is why the church is something that only God can build. And he has built this church out of the most humble origins, and it has been changing the world for over 2,000 years. And, of course, we all know overcoming incredible displays of human weakness, human limitation, human brokenness. But God says, I'm going to show you what only I can do. So how does God do that? So there's one thing that Paul does, that that Paul writes about, that God does that no other religion does. Let's look at what Paul prays for. Paul is praying for something. Look at verses 16 and 17 in Ephesians 3, Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches he may strengthen you with power through his spirit, which is where? Which is in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell where? So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul knows that being a Christian means um, well, Paul knows that being a Christian means you're going to face adversity, just like he's facing adversity in this prison. And so what is he praying for here? He's praying for something to happen from God that only God can do, and that is by dwelling our hearts with God's Spirit, with the presence of Christ. And this is the promise to the church. What's God's promise to the church? The promise to the church is Christ dwelling in our hearts. And it is nothing short of that. Jesus Christ dwelling in our hearts. 
And, and, and this is the one thing that can take people who are radically different from one another, who may come at life from very different perspectives, people who maybe the only thing that they have in common is that they're different from one another, and bring them together. It's the presence of Christ dwelling in our hearts. See, how does, how does Christ's presence unite very different people? Well, it's because Christ's presence comes to the humble. The presence of Christ comes by way of a promise to the undeserving, not as a reward to the deserving. The way to receive the presence of Christ, how do, how do you receive the presence of Christ? Well, it's not by trying to be all religious and to have your act together before God and show God, hey, I'm worthy, I, I am worthy of your presence in me. No, rather the way to receive the presence of Christ is by recognizing that you are far from God and then receiving Christ's presence as a gift that you don't deserve. And when I know that I can bring nothing to the table to demonstrate to Christ that I am worthy of his presence. And yet Jesus loves me anyway. When I realize that, then I realize that I cannot show or feel any superiority over someone in the church who is quite different from me. So I'm filled with Christ's love so that I can love others, and I realize that there is nothing in me that should make me feel superior in any way to someone else who is in the church with me. And this coming together of Jews and non-Jews in the church, this is that mystery that that God is now revealing through Paul. And, 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 and Paul knows this is just radically new. Like, this is a new thing Paul's writing about. And he knows the only way that God is going to bring this unity is through this church realizing the personal love of Jesus Christ, God's only Son. And so he prays. He prays, oh God, will you, will you strengthen their inner being with your power so that Christ may dwell in their hearts and so that they would know the love of Christ. And let me tell you, that is what makes you a Christian. It is when Christ dwells in your hearts through faith, not by outward acts, but through faith when Christ dwells in your heart, when you put your faith in Christ. And, and let's talk about putting your faith in Christ. What are we putting, what are we putting our, our faith in? I mean, we're putting our faith in Christ, but when we're putting our faith in the love of Christ, that Christ loves us. Look at verse 18. This is why Paul prays this next part of his prayer. Verse 18, he prays that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp what? How, how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. So what is that describing? The, the infinite love. It's going in all directions. The love of Christ. It's an infinite love. And we can only see it. And receive it and trust in it through God's power. I mean, it's that otherworldly. Christ's love is that otherworldly. And you may ask, is it really that otherworldly? 
Because we see love of all different kinds in this world. Love doesn't seem that otherworldly, does it? I mean, we see love in, you know, parents for their children. That, that's some powerful love. I mean, parents, you, you ready to lay down your life for one of your kids? Sign me up for that. No problem. We see uh, love in uh, husband and wife in a marriage. We see the kind of the, the smitten love, the, you know, the two people who are just infatuated um, with, uh, with, with one another. But even those loves are built on natural connections. It's, it's the child that is coming from her mother's womb. It is two people in love who enjoy so much of what they see in one another. Natural connections. But Romans chapter 5.8 tells us of a much different love from God, doesn't it? Romans 5.8 tells, tells us of God's completely different love. It says, God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So we see this amazing reversal of how to use power in that kind of love. The, so let's just think about that. Daniel, do we have Romans 5.8 on a slide? I might not have put it on a slide. I just want to put that up here. So let's... When God loves people while they were still sinners, while we were still sinners, that shows... A, an amazing reversal of how to use power. The Almighty God uses His power to give His own life for sinners. Jesus Christ, God of very God, died on the cross so that you could know how much He loves you. He loves you with a love that is so wide and long and high and deep. So that you would know that when Jesus thinks of you, he thinks of you with this affectionate and fierce love. And he died on the cross so that he could pay the cost for your sin so that you wouldn't have to pay the cost for your sin. He wants you to know the depths of his love. He was willing to suffer the ultimate depths of dying on the cross for you. And let me tell you, if you do not know that love, um, if you do not know that love, I've got two requests today. Uh, the, the request one is, is prayer. Will you pray? Like, just like Paul does. Paul is praying that Christians, and that includes not just the Christians in ancient Ephesus 2,000 years ago, but includes, Paul is praying for us today. That prayer from Paul is for us today. Paul prays that we would know the love of Christ. Um, and, and we should be praying that for one another. And you can pray that too. If you don't know that love, God, let me suggest, God, will you, will you show me, will you help me to know your amazing love for me. So, so prayer is my first request. Pray that. Pray that. 
I'll be praying for you. The church here at Hope Church will be praying for one another in that. The second request is that you be in fellowship with Christians who have been changed by the love of Christ and are seeking to be changed by the love of Christ. See, see, Paul, I'm going to point us back to uh, verse 18 because Paul has, he writes this really important but occasionally overlooked phrase in verse 18. So let's look at it one more time. Paul prays that you may have power. And then look at this, together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ. And to know this love, that surpasses knowledge. Listen, how do you know something that surpasses knowledge? How do you do that? Well, you experience it. And Paul suggests, and it is true, that we experience Christ's love together with all of the Lord's holy people. With and through one another. And when you receive Christ's love and Christ's presence fills you, you you receive the power to be a sign of Christ's love to others, to one another in this room. Just like Paul is the sign of of Christ's sacrificial love because he's in a prison cell and he's writing this letter to these Christians, telling them of God's love and then saying, me being in prison, I don't want you to worry about that because it is for your glory. Pentecost Sunday, a Sunday when we reflect on God filling his church with his Holy Spirit, giving them power to be witnesses of Christ, not just in our words, but also in our very lives. So the power, let's talk about the power for the church. The power for the church is the Holy Spirit uniting us to God and one another. so that we can be a flesh and blood sign to one another of the love of Christ. Corey Ten Boom was a Christian lady. Some of you may have read some of her books. Um, she was a Christian woman whose family was sent to a Nazi concentration camp because they helped the Jews um, living in Holland and she survived, though her father and her sister did not survive the concentration camps. And she was speaking about God's forgiveness at a church in Germany shortly after World War II. And when she finished speaking, a man um, approached her from the, the audience. And, and he was, turns out, he was one of the cruelest guards at the concentration camp in Ravensbrück, where Corey was at. And she recognized him. Now, he didn't recognize her, but she recognized him. And as she saw him, she said that the, the memory was etched in her mind of how the women in the concentration camp, had a, naked and starved, had to walk past this cruel former, this former cruel guard at the camp. And... Uh, and he, and he, he got up to her, he stuck out his hand, thrust out his hand to her so that she could take it and shake it, thrust out his hand and said, he said, I'll read what he said, a fine message, Fraulein, how good it is to know that, as you say, all sins are at the bottom of the sea. That was her big phrase, speaking about forgiveness, that, that through Christ, 
It's like our sins are at the bottom of the sea. You're gone forever. So said a fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that, as you said, all sins are at the bottom of the sea. And then he said, you mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk. I was a guard there, but since then, since then I have become a Christian. And I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well. Fraulein, will you forgive me? Now, what's he looking for? He's looking for a sign, a flesh and blood sign of the love of Christ. She writes, And I stood there, I whose sins had again and again to be forgiven, and I could not forgive. It was the most difficult thing I ever had to do. I prayed silently, Jesus, help me. I cannot do this on my own. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. That's what she prayed. And she felt a surge of power. And it was then that her, that she was able to reach out and grab his hand. And with tears flowing in her eyes, she told him, I forgive you. I forgive you with all my heart. And now, imagine God pointing to Corey Ten Boom and this now Christian man and saying to the spiritual powers, You see what I can do? And I hope that you will deeply desire to be a part of that church that God is building. Um, And that you will see a much greater purpose for your life than, than just yourself or just your immediate family. And when we love one another, when we gather here at Hope, we gather together, we love one another. We sh- when we show sacrificial commitment to one another, we serve one another, then we are that sign, the flesh and blood sign of the love of Christ. We are the flesh and blood sign of God doing what only God can do. <laughs> now, one more thing. Let's get to the end. Verse verse 20 we'll look at. Uh, don't you see how all of this helps us maybe see this, this little ending praise that Paul writes about and certainly was saying out loud when he's writing this, 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 this little few sentences of just praise and wonder to God. Verse 20, he writes, Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine. Now, that's something that, as Christians, are like, amen to that. God, I want you to do stuff that's immeasurably more than all I could ask or imagine. Please do that in my life. I, I need you to do that, this, the amazing stuff. I need you to do that in my life each and every day. God definitely wants to do that, but let's look at what he says. Now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we can ask or imagine, according to his power, that is at work Within us, God most definitely wants to answer that prayer for you, doing immeasurably more than all you can ask or imagine. And the way he answers that prayer so often is by filling us with all of the fullness of Christ. All of the fullness of Christ, so that we can be this beautiful, loving church 
for one another. Let me ask you, does your life reflect what you can do or does it reflect what only God can do? Let's take a moment and let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we want to be a part of this thing that you are building. We want to be a part of your church. We want to have your fullness dwelling in all of our hearts. We pray that you would help us to know your love. This morning, if there is anyone in this room that needs to know your love. And that can be someone that has been walking with you for many years, maybe someone that does not know you, but we all the time come before you and ask for this gift of knowing how wide and long and high and deep is your love for us. And we pray, Lord, that you would Show us your infinite love, your tender love. That you demonstrated on the cross when you died for us sinners. We pray that Christ, that you would come dwell in our hearts. And let me tell you, if you've not prayed that, you can pray that right now. And humbly ask, Christ, come into my life. And he will fill your life. And he will never leave you, nor ever forsake you. And we ask this in the loving, in the almighty name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.